Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. The Doctrine of the Godhead. In all human experience, there is nothing more profound than the question of the existence of God. And the answer that you, the answer that I give to that particular question, is there a God? The answer that you give determines how you relate, not just to life, but to the person next to you. Okay? Why do we say that it is very important? It is important because the whole of human relationship is determined by the way we respond to the question of God. In other words, if you believe that there is a God, it means that you do not see yourself as the final authority. It means that you see that there is somebody who is higher than yourself that you are going to report to sometimes in the future. And that will guide the way you behave, it guides the way you relate, it guides the way you deal with your you deal with the next person around you. But if you see yourself as the final authority, if you see yourself as everything ends and starts with you, why do you have to care about your fellow man? Why do you have to care about the way you treat your fellow person? Why do you have to care about what tomorrow holds? There is no there is no hope when you think that everything ends now. And that is why the question, the, the answer to the question, is there a God, is very, very important. This is also important because the tenor of life is affected by two things. How we behave in life is affected by two things. The first one is that, are we the final authority or is there any higher authority? If in a particular place, in a particular family, you see yourself, or in a particular place of work, you see yourself as the final boss, you make the rules in that particular place, your behavior is different from the person who comes to work and has to report to another person, whose particular acti activity is, is, uh, is sanctioned or approved by another person. So, how we live in life... The tenor of life, the attitude towards life, our attitude towards another person is determined by two things. Are we the final authority or is there a higher authority? The answer we give has a great implication on the way we live and relate to other fellow man. That is why the doctrine of Godhead, the, God, the doctrine of God is very, very important for Christians to understand. Now, many of us, we know we cannot prove the existence of God by scientific method. Okay. You cannot put God in the test tube and begin to test. If it brings out the color of yellow, you know it's God. If it brings out red, you know it's not God. You can't test God in a lab. Okay? Because the, re the only reason, the only way you can test the existence, uh, the, the existence of anything through the scientific method is for you to be able to reproduce it. When you are able to reproduce a particular experiment, that's when you can test whether it is true or it is wrong. Take, for example, the law of gravity. You might not be able to see the law of gravity, but you can test it. If you throw something up, it comes down. Whether you are living in America, it doesn't matter. Whether you are living in my village in Africa, it doesn't matter. Whether you anywhere you throw an orange up, it goes down. That is the testing. That is scientific testing. But you cannot test God. We cannot test the existence of God. Now, the fact that you cannot test the existence of God does not mean that God does not exist. It's just like if I tell you that my, my grandfather existed. 
How would you know that my grandfather existed? You didn't see him. And we cannot rewind the time to go back to the time that he was living. But that does not mean that he is not living. That does not mean that he never existed. Because we have evidence that he existed. And that evidence is me. Because he gave back to my father. My father gave back to me. The point you are making is that the fact that you cannot test something. The fact that you cannot reproduce something or repeat something does not mean that the historical event does not happen. If we say there is the Napoleon the Great, you cannot test the existence of Napoleon the Great, but you can prove it because you have evidence of the existence of Napoleon. That's the same thing we that's the same thing we are talking about the existence of God. The fact that historical event cannot be proved by repetition does not disprove the reality of that event. Okay? Does not disprove it. No, but the evidence of God abounds all around us. The evidence of God abounded all around us. If you look at the book of Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us that because that which which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of this world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, God has revealed himself in nature. God has revealed himself in the heart of men. God has given evidence of his existence. And he said that told that the things that God has revealed, we have no we have no we have no excuse. You know that if you if, if somebody wakes up and says there is no God, it is because that person decides to ignore the evidence that God has made available. And so what are the evidence? The first evidence we see is the evidence of anthropological research. The people who are do this research, who go into various communities and various uh, societies, they have found research indicate that a universal belief in God exists among the most remote people in the world. Even places where Christianity has not been to, places where any organized religion has not been to, there is that particular consciousness of God in the heart of men. The evidence shows that the vast majority of humanity at all times, uh, in all places, has believed in some kind of God. That is why they put a stone somewhere and they worship it as God. That is why they put a particular image somewhere and they worship it as God. There is a consciousness of God in the heart of people. And that is why Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 tells us, he said he has made everything beautiful in his own time. Also, he has put eternity in their heart. In other words, man, outside of organized religion, knows that everything does not start and end here. Man knows it. He doesn't have to be told. He doesn't have to come to church. He doesn't have to go to theological school. He knows because God has placed eternity in their hearts. Number two, number two, God, the, the, the number two evidence for God is the, the fact you have what is called the cause and effect. Cause and effect. Which simply means nothing comes from nothing. Alright? Nothing comes from nothing. If you see this water here and you have been coming to church every day, you know that Deborah put it here. Okay? The water did not just marry, does not just appear on this table. If you see a painting on a wall, you know somebody painted it and put it there. Nothing, you know, nothing appears out of nothing. The universe is an effect that has a cause. The universe has a The universe was created by something, and that something was that something we identify it to be God. And that's why the psalmist said in verse number in Psalm nineteen, verse one, he said, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show His handiwork." In other words, you look at the heavens and you know that something somewhere created this thing. 
It did not just show up. Okay? It did not just appear. So nothing create nothing no nothing can appear from nothing. God the creator, the beginner of, of the beginner is by definition eternal. In other words, God is eternal. He is uncreated. He is self a he is self existence. Where God is a where God where God a creating being, he will not be a cause. He will not is not is not the result of something. God is not a result of something. He all things are a result of God. So we see. You see, that's why the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah 57. It says, For thus said the, the high and the lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. In other words, he has been in existence from the beginning, from the very beginning. So he is not a created being, he is the one who created all. So there is not, you know, the, the existence of cause and effect is an evidence that God exists. Evidence number three is the order and design in the universe. Order and design in the universe. The physical systems of our universe loudly proclaim an intelligent design. Which simply tells us that something cannot, you know, you cannot create something organized out of chaos. Right? You cannot just wake up in the morning, go to your kitchen and start throwing stuff together in the, in your kitchen and, and you put it on, on your stove and you start cooking and all of a sudden a beautiful wedding cake appears. It doesn't work like that. You have to have a design at the back of your mind. When you want to create a good barbecue, you don't just wake up in the morning, throw some things on the, on the grill, and all of a sudden a nice barbecue. No! It doesn't work. There has to be a design. There's an intelligent design behind it. And even the man that created all the problem about evolution, even that guy in the book that he wrote about evolution stated that... To suppose that the eyes, that is this eye that we're looking at, to suppose that the eye is uh, with so many parts working together could have been formed by natural selection, I freely confess is absurd uh, in the highest degree. In other words, these particular eyes cannot just evolve. Somebody somewhere, something somewhere designed it. There is an intelligent design behind what you are looking at. And because of that intelligent design, we are saying that every living organisms, every living organism, it is clear that they have been carefully and artfully designed. And that is why David, when he looked at himself, David said, I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul may know very well. In other words, David looked at himself and said, I did not just come here by accident. I did not just show up because I don't, you know, because uh, the, 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 the ape which was my grandfather just came out of a primordial soup walk upon the earth and all of a sudden became a human being no I am fearfully and wonderfully made that was what David said in, a, in, a, in evidence of the existence of God then evidence number four is the moral evidence the moral evidence. I'm sure many of you have heard the fact that when you talk to a little kid and you tell them you can't have this but Johnny can have that he says that's not fair okay who taught that particular child fairness who told them that what is right or wrong? The fact that we know a fairness, we know that there is something that is called fairness. The fact that we appeal to the standard of right and wrong tells us that there is a moral standard that everybody appeals to. And that moral standard must be given by a moral lawgiver. Which means, because the Bible says that God made us in his own image. And in his own image, he created men and women. So what you find is that the image of God, he passed on to us. You will never see a lion say that it is not, it is not, a, it is not fair for him to steal the food of another antelope. No! <laughs> what they do is they survive based on instinct. 
There is a survival instinct in them, and their idea is that it is the it is the survival of the fittest. But you and I don't survive on the survival of the fittest, and that is why if my brother is sitting upon this chair right now, goes to the bathroom, and before he comes back, I sit on that particular seat. There is a tendency, there is an expectation that because he has the first person that occupied that seat, when he comes back, I should get up so that he can sit back on his own seat. It's a it's a standard of fairness. But if we don't have a God that is giving that thing, it means that, you know, they, 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 okay, this, this standard of fairness don't, don't just appear. Animals don't have it. Trees don't have it. All other living things don't have it. It is only human beings that have it. And that tells you that there's an, a moral lawgiver, a moral God that is in existence. The moral image of human being points to a moral creator. Like I said, moral, the lower animals don't, don't care about fairness. There is somebody behind the universe. His name is God, who has a mind. He has an emotion, he has a conscience, and he has a will. And he gave us his personality when he created us. And then number five is the evidence of changed lives. The evidence of changed lives. You look at a particular individual who before now has never been in touch with God, has never cared about God, has never cared about the salvation or the salvation of his soul. Then one day he hears the gospel message. And after hearing the gospel message, he transforms, he gives his life over to Christ. And then you now begin to see the changes in his life. You begin to see changes happening in his life. You begin to see the relationship in his family. You begin to see the way he deals with the people around him. You begin to see the way he interacts with his community. You see that something has changed in his life. How can something that does not exist change the life of an individual that is in existence? So the evidence of changed life tells us that there is a God who is walking in the lives of everyone, you know, in the, in the lives of his people. The question that comes to mind then is how do we discover this God on our own? Can we discover this God on our own? Can we find him on our own? The Bible tells us in the book of Job chapter 11, Job 11 chapter verse 7, it says, Can thou by searching find out God? Can thou Find out the Almighty unto perfection. And we all know the answer. The answer is no. In your own wisdom, you cannot find Him. In your own understanding, you cannot find Him. In your own knowledge and research, you cannot find Him. Because if we can find it, all the, all the professors in all those, in all those uh, Ivy League universities would have found Him by now. Because they have read and they have studied and they have done anything, and yet they cannot find Him. Because the Bible says that He has concealed those particular things from those who claim to be wise. But the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, reading from verse 29, the Bible says, The secret things belong unto our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we, all, that we may do all the works that are in the law. But if you think that you can rely on your own wisdom, you rely on your own understanding, you rely on your own knowledge, you will not be able to understand this particular God that we're talking about. Because he's infinitely mightier than our capacity to be able to comprehend him. So what we see is that in our own knowledge, we cannot find him. In our own wisdom, we cannot find him. Unless God reveals himself to us, we cannot find him. And, we, and if we try to do that, we will end up confusing ourselves. And that is why you see a lot of well-educated people who are seriously confused about God. Totally confused about God. Not because God cannot be found, but because the way they approach the finding of God is that depending upon their own wisdom. But the Bible makes us to understand that only those the Lord Almighty draw unto himself. Those are the people who will have an understanding of what he is all about. So that is why among those who believe in God, because we cannot find God in our own wisdom, even among those who believe in God, they have a different idea of who God is. Different, different idea. There are people who believe that God is a celestial killjoy. The guy is always mean, always angry. 
and he hates it when you are having fun. There are some people who believe God that is like that. He's always carrying a stick so that when you are having too much fun, he just whack you in the head. <laughs> See, my friend, you know, take take it easy. You are not supposed to be having fun in church. What's wrong with you? Yeah? <laughs> and there are those who believe that God is a sentimental grandfather. You know, he has this, this Santa Claus kind of look. He's this big beard and this big tummy. He's wearing a red jacket and he's just stroking his beard. Ho, 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 Men, boys, will always be boys. So don't worry, don't worry. He's always very indulgent. So there are people who have that idea. God is a wicked God. And then there are God. There are people who believe that God is an indulgent God. Then there are God who believe that God is always... is that power. is that force. You know, if you want the... If you watch this Star War, is the guy that carry that particular and they'll zap people off. You misbehave, he just zap you into whatever he wants to, you know. There are people like that who think that that's the way God is. And there are people like Einstein who believe that God is just a mathematical force, an impersonal force that you cannot relate with. There are some who also believe that God created the world and he took a vacation. You know, he just left us alone to do whatever we want. And that's why there's a lot of evil. That's the way they explain evil in the world. They say God created the world, took a vacation and said, you guys deal with it. You know, when I get back, I'll talk to you guys. You know, so those are the various pictures of God that people have. There are some people who believe that there is no God, and there are people who believe in all sorts of ideas of God. The kind of God you believe, my brothers and sisters, the, the kind of God you believe can be constructed based on your character and attitude in daily life. The kind of God you believe. If you believe in a God that is loving and forgiving, your attitude towards life will reveal it. Because you will be forgiving and you will be loving and the way you treat people will reflect it. But if your picture of God is devoid of love, is devoid of forgiveness, is a very angry God, is a God that says you can kill everybody so that you can have 74 or 72 virgins. If that is your picture of God, you will behave accordingly. You will strap a bomb around you and walk into the market and kill people because you want to get your 72 virgins. I mean, what easier way can you get some digital virgin? Just kill the people and go and get it. I mean, so if that is your picture of God, it makes it a lot easier for you. So your picture of God, your picture of God can be, can be deduced from your attitude. And my brothers and sisters, I can tell you, you cannot respond to life beyond your view of God. You cannot. If you read the scripture, the Bible tells us about the very names of God. It said, God is Jehovah Jireh. If you do not see God as Jehovah Jireh, you will not believe God can provide for you. If you see God as Jehovah Shalom, if you don't see God as Jehovah Shalom, you will never believe that he can give you peace. The point we are making is that your view of God, your response to life, I mean, cannot go beyond your view, your overall view of God. Your response to life cannot go over the overall view of God. If your God is little, what will happen is that you can manipulate that God. And that's why you go into some Christian circles. And what do you find? They believe they can manipulate God. They believe all you have to do that God is what God. God is, a, is, is like a slot machine in, in Vegas. All you have to do is take some coin, drop it in there, pull the lever, and God starts spewing out money. And that's why they believe that when you begin to talk about giving and giving and giving, and that's all they talk about. Giving and blessing, giving and blessing. As if the whole Bible is made of giving and blessing. I'm not saying God doesn't bless. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that your view of God is reflected in the way you live. Yeah. Your view of God is reflected in the way you live. For us as Christians, we believe that God is the creator and the ruler. We believe he is personal. He's personally involved with his creation. We believe that he reveals himself to his creation. We believe as Christians that we can know God on a personal level through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we believe. And if you look at the life of Joseph, you look at the life of Moses, you look at the life of the patriarch, you will see that they, the, way, the way they pictured God, the way they saw God was reflected in the way they dealt with the environment. 
That's why Joseph can say to his brothers, you thought it evil for me, but God meant it for good. It is the picture of God that he had that reflected that. That is why he can say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God will give you an interpretation because he knows that God knows all things. If the picture of God you have at the back of your mind will determine how you relate to life and to the people around you. So what we believe about God, our view of God says a lot about us and it determines how we live and respond to people around us. Now, the word God, eh? the word God is the most widely used word in our language. And for most people, this particular word is undefined. I remember when I first came to this country, I was having a conversation with somebody. And from where I come from, when you talk God, you are, at least the section of the country where I come from, when you say God, you are referring to the God in the Bible. So I assumed that that person was talking about the God of the Bible. By the time we were done, I just found out that this guy, we were completely miles apart because we did not even determine. I didn't think it was necessary for us to define God before we started conversation. So by the time we're done, we realized that, man, we were completely opposed. What I'm saying in essence is that we talk about God here in our society, but we don't even define the God that we're talking about. Our society has made it very easy for people to talk about God without actually spelling, pinning down which God we are referring to. And that's why we say, I'm, you know, they, 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 they now coin the word, are you spiritual? Are you religious? They choose to ignore the word God so that they don't have to define it. Okay? There are those who even argue that there is no existence of God. And those people are always very entertaining to me. Okay? The reason they are entertaining to me is that when you say something does not exist, why are you so bothered? By somebody else saying that that thing exists. Why do you spend so much resources to fight the people that disagree with you if that thing does not exist? I remember if you behave like that, the shrinks, they have a word for you, you know? When you are arguing about something that does not exist, you are spending a lot of resources just to fight the people who say that that thing does not that, 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 that disagree with you. Tell that something is wrong with that person's head. But that's a story for another day. As Christians, like I said, we believe in God. We believe that there is a God and we believe that we can know Him. The question is that how has God revealed Himself to us? How has God revealed Himself to us? And why has God revealed Himself to us? Let's deal with the why before we see how. God has revealed himself to us so that we can know him. God wants us to know him. He wants to have a relationship with his people. He wants to know him. That's why he said, call upon me. I will hear and I will answer. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Why has God revealed himself to us? He revealed himself to us so that we can relate to him. When you have issues, you can go to him. You can talk to him. He can visit with you. He can talk to you. Why why does God want us to, to know him? He wants us to know him so that we can fellowship with him. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that in the evening, the Lord God Almighty, in the cool of the day, God Almighty was walking in the darkness and was asking, Adam, where are you? Why was he asking for where Adam was? So that he can have fellowship with Adam. That is the reason. And then finally, so that we can worship him. The Bible says he made all things for his own pleasure. So that we can worship him. That's why God has made us. Revelation 4 verse 11 tells us, Thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were, they are, and they are created. God created all things so that we can worship him. So that he can have pleasure with, you know, he can have pleasure in the work of his own hands. For those of us who know him with the, uh, and desire, uh, uh, we, uh, know him, God desired that we harmonize what we know about him and what he has revealed about himself. God wants us to be able to, to be able to bridge the gap between what we know about him and what he has revealed about him, about himself. 
In other words, the perception of God we have must be in agreement with what God has revealed. The picture of God we have at the back of our mind must be in agreement with the picture of God that has been revealed unto us. Okay? So what does God reveal unto, or reveal unto us about himself? The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, reading from verse number 1. The Bible tells us there. It says, uh, the Bible says, God... Who at sundry time and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Has in this last day spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. God revealed himself through three basic areas. Even there are more, but I'll just focus on three. God revealed himself, number one, to us through his natural attributes. Number two, he reveals himself to us through his moral attributes, through his moral character. And just from the verse of the scripture we have just read, he reveals himself unto us through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's take them one by one. A natural attribute. Natural attribute is what is that which pertains to a thing by, a, by natural necessity. Or whatever is attribu- uh, attributable to it uh, is uh, as essential to its essence or its nature. The attribute of God are those qualities, those capabilities, those elements that are natural to his own constituent. What do I mean? Let's give us an example. Example is this. The natural attribute of God is that God is transcendent in nature. And what does that mean? It means that God is separate from his nature, from his creation. Okay? God is separate from his creation. In other words, there are people who believe that God is everything, everything is God. I'm, never, I'm not sure if you have heard about it. I don't know whether you have ever heard that thing. But there are people who say that God is everything, everything is God. And that's why they will not step on an ant. They will not kill, they will not break a, a branch of the tree. They will, you know, because they believe everything is God and God is everything. But the Bible reveals to us that God is a transcendent God. He is separate from His creation. The Bible, the book of Isaiah 57 verse, Isaiah 57 verse 15 tells us, for thou, for thou says the, for thou says the, the high and the lofty one, the one that inhabits eternity. He is different from His creation. How many of us have heard about the name Steve Jobs? How many of us have heard about Bill Gates? Yes. You know Bill Gates is separate from the computers that he created. I hope you know that. Yes. Bill Gates is not Windows and Windows is not Bill Gates. Uh-huh. Just like God is not... Just like no, God, Everything is not God and God is not everything. God is transcendent in nature. Number two, God is imminent in nature. And what does that mean? That means God is near to his, near to his people. God is near to us. God is here right now as we are fellowshipping, just like he's near to people who are in downtown fellowshipping, those who are near to the people in India who are calling upon the name of the Lord, those who are like, near to the people who are in South Africa who are calling upon the name of the Lord. God is imminent in nature. He's near to his people. His presence pervades his creation. He does not disengage from his people. God does not disengage. And that is why when you are in a particular issue, you can call upon him and he will answer. You can present your request before him and he will answer. God is eminent in nature. God is omnipotent in nature. In other words, he is all powerful. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 32 verse 17. He said, Our God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretch and, and, and stretch out arm and there is nothing too hard for thee. 
In other words, God is all powerful. And that's why he can heal. That's why he can deliver. And that's why he can set free from whatever debilitating condition that we have. That is why we know that whatever condition we are facing is not a permanent condition. But because if we invite God into that situation, he can always hear and answer and deliver us from whatever issues that we are going on. So God is omnipotent. God is also omnipresent. In other words, God is everywhere. He is fully present anywhere. He is with us at all times with all his power. And that is why we can call upon him in Antioch and he will hear us. And the people in Mofisboro can call upon him and he will hear them. And the people in DC can call upon him and he will hear them. God is omnipresent in nature. Not only God, God is omniscient in preacher. In other words, he is all-knowing. He knows everything. Psalm 139 verse 2 tells us, Thou knowest my, my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou, thou understandest my thought afar off. In other words, you cannot hide from him. You can't hide from him. No matter how hard you try. I remember there was a story about somebody about a particular boy. The father took him to a farm and he wanted to steal something. He said, watch the front and watch the back. Watch the left and watch the right. Then the boy asked him, he said, who is watching up? <laughs> you know? Because God sees everything. So God is omnipresent. God is omniscient and is no is all-knowing. God is an infinite God. Which means he is unlimited. God is not limited by our own understanding. He's not limited by our own wisdom. He's not limited by our own limitation. God is unlimited. God is not confined to or by the universe that he created. God is not confined. And that is why anything that God does, he can suspend the laws of nature just to visit with us. And he will do that for us in Jesus' name. God is also immutable. What does that mean? It means that God is unchanging. It means he's unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from above and come from uh, cometh down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. That's James chapter 1, verse 17. God does not change. What God has done for us in the past, he can do today and he will do tomorrow. And that's why you have the comfort that if God can heal somebody last year, he can do it today. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.